Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish Eat Repeat. Guys, I know I say this every single time I have a guest on, but I really, really mean it this time. I mean, I'm so excited. I cannot even contain myself. You are in for a very, very special episode. So this is one you're going to want to come back to. You're going to want to listen um, a few times. You're going to want to share this with everyone you know, because this is going to be a fantastic episode. So today I have on a very special guest, Carrie Silver. Carrie is a mental health therapist, and she works for a community-based mental health organization in Exton, Pennsylvania. She has her master's in clinical counseling and primarily works with children, adults, and families struggling with mood and behavioral disorders. And... Carrie is one of my very best friends. So I am so, so excited to introduce you to her, um, for all of you to listen to her words of wisdom, because we're going to get into a very important topic today. But before we do, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Adrian. It is so good to be here. I too am a faithful listener and just learn so much each and every week and then call you on the in-between to be like, can you help me out with this thing? And so this is going to be really fun for both of us. Yes. Yes. So as much as I'm like bursting with excitement to introduce you um, to all of my listeners and all my listeners to you, we actually have a little bit more of a heavier topic to discuss today. And today's topic is all about anxiety. And I think most of this has stemmed from, gosh, I'm going to even say back when the pandemic started. So two years ago, um, when the pandemic happened, I know a lot of people were struggling with fear and the unknown and grief and kids coming home, people working from home, you know, it, all of a sudden our whole world got turned upside down. And I remember bringing my team together and, and saying, we've got to be prepared to help people walk through this because so many of us stress eat, emotional eat on a good day, let alone when, you know, the world was falling apart. And so, you know, I remember telling my team, like, we are going to be these people's anchors and they're rocks and they're going to come to us for help. And, and we were prepared for that, but I think we were prepared for that short term. <laughs> we weren't prepared for now, two years later, still the, the anxiety, um, whether it be from um, just the pandemic, whether it be from the new challenges of working from home and, you know, trying to organize schedules, um, even to politics and, and world events, which are so divisive, just we are seeing anxiety through the roof right now. And that is why I needed to bring you on this show, because we need help. And it's gonna, it's beyond what I'm able to provide. And so this is where, you know, we need you, Carrie. So we're so thankful <laughs> you're here. 
Well, I just, I love how you had the forethought to care for your people and talk to your team like that two years ago. And then, yes, you're exactly right. It is still an ongoing conversation because it is a critical issue right now. Um, I'm seeing it a ton in my own practice, um, all age ranges, all socioeconomic statuses. And I guess my greatest hope um, to provide for your community today is to really normalize both the experience of anxiety and getting additional help for anxiety, because I promise you that anybody who thinks like, well, I think I might be like the only one who's still struggling or having a hard time with this, you 100% or not. If we think of anxiety on like a spectrum of like zero to 10, even people pre-pandemic who were like kind of functioning or one or two, they worry about some things sometimes, maybe, you know, they have a sleepless night here and there everybody's notches have moved two to four degrees. And so what used to be a one or two might now be a three, four or five. And then certainly people who, you know, anxiety was part of their life ahead of time. You know, sometimes they're up in the sevens and eights now. And so there is just so much of this pervasively everywhere. And there are some ways we can help with this. Well, that's encouraging because I feel like so many of us, and even myself included, I mean, how many times have I even reached out to you? I'm like, Carrie, help me. Like, yeah. it's just, it all feels so much like we were, like you said, we were all operating at a level. We would get stressed out from time to time, but we'd be able to return back to normal yeah. where our baselines have increased and That's we right. just, we feel it so much more and, um, and we're not quite sure how to navigate our way through it. So That's exactly right. Like the World Health Organization is reporting a 25% increase since the beginning of pandemic worldwide anxiety being reported. The American Psychological Association is reporting a four times increase. And so those numbers come from people who are seeking services. That's not even accounting for the people who haven't sought services yet, either through their doctor or through a therapist. And let me just pause and say today's podcast is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. Like I said, I'm hoping to normalize, but then also hoping to just give some really great tools to get everyone started on their journey to hopefully seeking services as needed through their different professionals in their home communities. Okay. So before we jump in though, and start talking all about all the tips and tools, cause right, you know, I'll, I'm yep. all about the practical tips. Like just tell me what to do <laughs> and I will do it because a lot of us don't have time for yep. the conceptual work, mm -hmm. right? We just want the practical exactly tools. Right. But let's first go into defining anxiety. Just, you know, for some people who maybe think, is, are she talking about me? Or, you know, oh, she's definitely talking about me. Like, give us a little bit of, of parameters to define this. Sure. So clinically in my world, anxiety is a huge umbrella that can cover everything from like phobias, post-traumatic stress disorder. But what we're going to be talking about today is kind of a higher level of what might be called generalized anxiety um, or just, you know, anxiety in general. And usually there's two main components. There's a body experience of that and then a head, like an emotion and thinking experience of that. And so what we're talking about is disruptions to both of those spaces for a sustained period of time that's negatively impacting different environments. So it might impact your schoolwork or your work or your home life, your relationships. And so when I'm talking about experiences of anxiety in your body, we're talking about things like a pervasive feeling of restlessness or like you're wound up or on edge, just kind of that hypervigilance, um, being easily fatigued. Lots of somatic complaints like having frequent headaches, muscle aches, stomach aches, um, having sleep problems, especially either difficulty falling asleep or difficulty staying asleep 
once you are asleep and generally waking up feeling like that was not helpful at all. I don't feel like I ever went to bed. Um, sometimes this can be experienced as like a racing heart um, or just feelings of tightness in your body, especially in your chest and your muscles. What we're talking about in terms of cognitively or emotionally, um, oftentimes people who have anxiety have a difficult time concentrating or like multitasking. Um, it just really um, fatigues them out quicker. And so you'll also see problems with decision-making, um, being able to make them in a timely manner or constantly second-guessing your decisions, um, being irritable seemingly without a, a um, reason to be. Um, and then also just a lot of difficulty controlling feelings of worry, those constant questions of what if and feeling like a need to like cover all your bases and have a plan for everything. Um, and so all of that together is working both in your body, in your thoughts, in your feelings. And when that is happening over a long period of time, um, usually, you know, a couple weeks, um, and then seeing that negative impact in your different environments and relationships, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the level of anxiety that would most benefit from additional support. Okay, so you just said a lot of information. So I just want to unpack that a little bit because yeah. I feel like there are so many things that you listed in those different categories mm -hmm. that I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I can struggle with that too. I can struggle with that too. But you're talking about when it gets to the point where it disrupts your daily, your day-to-day -day activities, that's when it becomes more problematic. We all struggle with some of those things at times. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. Um, so the, the experience of these and the intensity of them may mean you're calling out of work or you've seen dropped grades or you feel like your relationships are suffering. Maybe you're avoiding spending time with the people in your life you would most want to be able to spend time with or you're just constantly in arguments, um, that irritability we talked about. Um, perhaps you are finding yourself just feeling just constantly run down or like you can't stop thinking about things that are, are worrisome to you. And it's usually not that those concerns aren't legitimately worrisome, but how intrusive they are in your life is where the problem comes. I see the judgment of like, why am I even worrying about this? This, this shouldn't be this big of a deal. Anything can be a big deal to you, but it's how negatively it's impacting your life that then we're talking about, you know, more of a diagnosable and problematic experience of anxiety. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's helpful because then it can allow us to do some kind of an internal checkpoint of, mm -hmm. am I okay right now? Or do I need to, um, talk this through with somebody else? Cause I'm assuming most people maybe have tried to seek out talking to family members or friends first. I think that's usually our go-to, right. Yep. Of um, course. you know, yeah. and that would still be an okay solution in the beginning, right? As we're trying to navigate right. our way through it. That's exactly right. And I encourage that whether you're seeking regular services or not, letting the people who best support you actually be able to support you is always important. But if you're reaching out to your loved ones, your coworkers, um, things like that, and you leave those conversations still feeling like unheard, or maybe unvalidated or dismissed, like, wow, they just keep telling me this isn't a big deal, but it still feels like a big deal to me. Then allowing a professional who's been trained to just hold that space with you and not try to solve it for you, maybe solve it with you. That would certainly be an approach I would take. Um, but it's okay if you're not getting what you need in the level of support because you're not feeling symptom reduction. I mean, honest, obviously, all those things we just talked about, those are not fun. 
um, that is a level of suffering when you mix a bunch of those up and you're feeling them day after day. And so if your normal things you're reaching for, whether it be like you talked about at the top, uh, you know, too much food, emotional eating or whatever, or talking with people, if none of those things are offering you symptom reduction, that's where allowing a professional to walk this with you could be really helpful. Okay. So this is going to sound like, I hope I'm phrasing this right. Like when we talk about anxiety, like how should we think about anxiety or or what should we think about anxiety um, so that we can figure out what the best approach is to to handling it or to treating it. Is that, does that sound right? The way I'm asking. That absolutely sounds right. That absolutely sounds right. So, you know, our bodies generate anxiety through our somatic feelings, our thoughts and our feelings as a protection. It's noticing there is something really wrong somewhere around here, whether it started inside or I'm actually responding to something environmental, you know, the different things we've had going on in our world, some trouble in our relationships. Our body is saying, this is not right. You need to pay attention to this. We need to come up with a plan for this. We might be in danger. That is a wonderful gift our body gives us to be able to do that. The challenge becomes when we are misreading danger or when we suddenly think everything is a danger. And that's what anxiety gives us that isn't helpful. And so there are a couple things to think about. Um, Sometimes when we're in those earlier stages of anxiety, when it's starting to become a problem, but we're just not ready to acknowledge it's a problem yet, we can start over-functioning or under-functioning to try to like find the loophole, find the workaround. Over-functioning is going to look like trying to overcompensate for feelings. Um, It's gonna be trying to keep busy a lot, Um, doing more to get ahead, like whatever your stressor is, if you think there's something more you can do to get beyond that, that's what it's going to be. But you don't necessarily get ahead because you cannot to-do list your way out of anxiety. And so then we also then start struggling with feelings of inadequacy or shame, like I'm working so hard and it's not being helpful. Conversely, sometimes we also start under-functioning, that those feelings of anxiety become so overwhelming, we just give up. We're like, we're good. Um, and so we can become debilitated with our anxiety. We can, um, just start being completely unproductive. Maybe we're checking out, we're on our phones too much. Um, we're not getting any of our stuff done. And with the underfunctioning is when we usually start to see a lot more of those physical symptoms kick in. So either of those two spaces would be a good sign to say, okay, I've noticed something is wrong, which is great. We need to be able to do that, but how I'm trying to get it fixed is not working. So what if we do both? (laughs) Like what if we vacillate between both? Like, all right, I want to ignore this. I want to pretend it's not there. And so I'm going to fill up my space with all this other stuff and then vacillate to completely crashing and then checking out and being on Facebook for three hours, because that is all you can handle in the moment. That's right. Nope. And that would be completely normal. Oftentimes it is an up and it is a down. And so noticing both of those and also giving your the gift yourself the gift of saying, this is not working. I need to try something different um, instead of continuing to push through. There's also the challenge that noticing, are you dealing with anticipatory anxiety or reflective anxiety? So anticipatory anxiety, you're hearing the word anticipate. Do you find that you primarily worry about things that might happen in the future? Things you actually know about, uh, maybe a job interview you have coming up or a conversation you need to have. Or also just things you don't know about, like 
how this pandemic is originally actually ever going to end or what's going to happen, you know, working off some of the things you mentioned at the top, what's going to happen next election. Like these are things people can be worrying about already where we really have no control and no influence on any of the outcomes. Um, reflective anxiety is, do you find yourself going over conversations you already had? And maybe you're like picking apart, like, oh, I should have said this. I wish I would have done that. When she said that, did that mean this? Um, and so your anxiety builds because of something that's already happened that again, it's already done, but you yourself are living in this space of concern and um, just worry about how that went. Both of these types of anxiety are very hard on the body and very hard to stay in any way present in your life that's actually happening when you're living too far in the future or too far in the past. So let's talk about a little bit about how it's hard on your body. Cause obviously this, you know, I try to do a lot of work with nutrition in the body and how, you know, your, your body responds. Like what are some of those physical ramifications? Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes we see, um, uh, the extreme fatigue, um, because all of that mental work of before and after and coming and everything can just take up a lot of mental energy. Um, we can see, um, just increase in injuries, um, because we have that muscle tightness all of the time. And also if you're living in these two different spaces, you're just more distracted a lot. And so sometimes there's just things that are happening that you're missing. Um, and so you're not being able to tend to your body because you are not where you are. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the things we'll say when we're working with anxiety is be where you are, um, because that can actually be really hard. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that um, in a little bit when we get to some of the tools about how to, because that is a practice. That is not just something we like learn to do. And then we just never have a problem with that again. Um, but, you know, there can be cardiovascular issues long-term, digestive issues long-term, memory issues long-term. Um, especially with some of the more trauma-based anxiety, such as post-traumatic stress and things. And so chronic stress is very hard on the body. Chronic stress is related to anxiety. Um, and so it's just, it is the best way you can serve your body and to serve yourself to address this issue. Well, I think you bring up a really good point. Like some of those, just being able to recognize like, oh, I'm forgetting everything lately. Like usually I'm really good about remembering things and staying on track and I'm just not right now. So could I do an internal check-in? You know, could I be, you know, like you said, the two different types of either the anticipatory or the reflective, like what's going on right now is my mind in another place. I mean, how many times do we talk about mindful eating on this podcast, right? Being present where you're at. So I think a lot of these, tools may even overlap some of the things that we talked about. Um, so I'm really excited to, to hear how can we best um, work through some of these or what are some of the tools that you have? Can we jump to that? Because I'm really excited for that. <laughs> we absolutely can. I just do want to say one more thing. Sure. It's really important. I think sometimes um, when I'm working with a client that is newer to working with anxiety and maybe came in kind of as a last resort, they already come in with um, some feelings of Shame, like they couldn't manage this on their own, or how did it get to this point? And I think it's really important for people to notice that anxiety lies to us, um, both in content and in authority. Um, in terms of content, anxiety is always trying to tell us things are worse than it is, and that we have less options than we do. 
So if you have statements in your head or you find yourself saying things in your world and they often avoid statements like always or never or forever, it is always going to be this way. Things are never going to change. Things are never going to get any better. Those, that's that content of lies that are being told to you because oftentimes there's the evidence to say maybe, but also maybe not. And then also anxiety seems to speak into ourselves with a lot of authority that it does not have. Um, and it, so it'll often go unchallenged. Like when we say like, it's just never going to get any better than this. We don't have a good practice of looking for the evidence otherwise. So we just believe that it's never going to get any better than this. And so when you have these lies and the full authority of it, it's really hard to say like, okay, well then maybe I should get help because I could help make this different, but I, you absolutely can. Um, and partnered with someone who um, is trained to help you uh, challenge those cognitions and challenge those lies and figure out where the different fault lines are can be really helpful. Wow, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you. I'm glad you stopped me um, because that's, <laughs> that's a really important point, you know. And and again, just I, like you said, just being able to recognize some of those those statements that feel so true because they're your thoughts. And, you know, I, I'm always telling people to challenge those, their thoughts, because we just assume that every thought that comes into our brain must be true. And that's not the case. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know where we're supposed to learn that along the way. I'm just, I'm like going back to school. Like they never really taught us that. No, no, they really didn't. But there are so many great resources out there. Of course, I'm going to push for one that involves another mental health person. But even if that's just not where you're at yet, there are absolutely things that we could start doing today to help change a little bit of this trajectory. Awesome. All right. So can we go to the tools now? We, we are at your favorite <laughs> section. All um, right. Okay. Give them to us, Carrie. We're ready. We got pens in our hand and we are ready to do the things. <laughs> Okay, well, of course, as maybe I've implied a time or two um, otherwise today, the first step is always awareness. It's just asking yourself, where are my mind and body not in the same place? This could be I'm sitting at home, but I'm thinking about school. I'm having dinner with my family, but I'm worrying about something that's going to happen tomorrow. And so there's no judgment in this. It's just noticing. And can we bring ourselves physically, emotionally, and mentally back into the same space? And the harder that is, the greater your red flag is like, okay, we definitely need some help with this. Sometimes it just starts like, I just didn't realize how often I'm not where I'm at. And then sometimes it's, I'm not where I'm at because that place is so uncomfortable for me. And we need to find a place, a way to get comfortable there again. Okay. I'm going to first start with um, some of the mind related tools. And then we'll also talk about some of those physical tools. So if we're thinking about anxiety in terms of groupings of physical symptoms and also cognitive emotional symptoms, we've got some tools for either one of those. So if one of those feels more or less to you, we have options. Okay. So in terms of the mind related tools, when you find yourself start going down that this is always going to be this way. It's never going to get any better for the, just the, that turning of anxiety in your mind. One of the statements you want to be able to continually say to yourself is, I don't have control, but I do have choices. So there's lots of things we can't change, but there are some things we have choices about. And so this can be a big focus in therapy. This can be a mantra that you can use when, you're, when you find yourself turning um, because anxiety often points to all the things either in front of us or behind us, as we talked about, that we have no control over. Um, but it really doesn't help us reflect on the choices we do have. 
Um, if you're reflecting too much on that awkward conversation that you had with a friend or a coworker, you have a choice to circle back to them and just say, hey, I'm not sure what I said came out right or that I heard what you were trying to say. Can, can we have that conversation again? So that's a choice, even if you can't change the first conversation you had. Um, or if you're anticipatorily worried about a doctor's appointment you have coming up, well, you probably don't have a lot of control over the fact you need to go to that appointment, but you have a choice to make a list ahead of time. Like these are the three questions I wanna make sure I ask before I leave this office. And so those kinds of things can help empower us. Now, do you recommend doing this like pen and paper? Like, do you recommend journaling this or is this just a practice that we can kind of run through in our, in our minds? Whatever works for you. Um, I find some kind of putting it out there, whether that's pen and paper, your notes app in your phone, anything like that can help provide a um, increased release than just thinking about it because then it could be like, oh my gosh, did I forget my three questions? And then so then you start circling around that. It's like, no, I can remember. I wrote them down. I wrote them here. Or, you know, that appointment is in my calendar. I actually added it to the notes section of the appointment. I don't even have to look for it anywhere else. It's all tied together, you know, whatever feels best for you. But yes, I, I think somehow putting it somewhere other than inside your head can always be a good idea. Well, because I feel like my head's always swirling with a million different things and then it gets yep. lost. So then I have to try to remember and the anxiety of trying to remember what I want. Like it just gets all swirly and mixed up. So for me, I find putting things down on paper is really helpful. I agree. I agree. I, when that is available to you, a voice memo, anything, um, you know, there are times I'll even text my husband and just say like, this isn't for you, but it's just so I remember it for later because I just needed it somewhere. I, Cause I'll go look at my text messages again, more than I'll go look at my notes app, you know? Um, another cognitive strategy is called thought stopping. Okay. So as we talked about those intrusive pervasive thoughts that are telling you lies, we need to stop them. We need to stop them right where they're at. And usually the best way to do that is as we said, first noticing it, but then interrupting it with some kind of short, true, direct statement. So if, um, you know, just to keep working with our same example, if the, you're just kind of really churned up about a conversation that you had with a coworker that you think didn't go well, um, but maybe you know that you showed up the way you could in that moment, you can just say that I did my best. And so that's a true statement. It's a short statement and it interrupts the constant replay. And that's what we want to do because the constant replay is what signals all those body symptoms. Because we're like, oh, something was wrong. I'm thinking about it. My mind has now discerned I'm in danger. And so my heart starts racing. My muscles are tight. I'm getting a headache. But we need to stop it before it even sets off that whole chain of events. Okay. Yes, I like that one. That's very, that's simple. It's easy. And I did my best. It's positive yep. too. It's not, yep. um, that's right. it's, it's neutral, but it's po it has a positive spin to it, which already starts to lighten the load. Exactly. Short and true is what we're looking for. Okay. Okay. Um, I know you're going to love this one too, because I know this is something you already do. A great anecdote to anxiety is a gratitude practice. And I know that sounds silly, but it really is. Again, anxiety focuses on what is missing and what is wrong. And a daily practice of what is right or what is good helps offset that. Because especially when we are particularly turned up in our anxiety, to be able to go back and read a day's worth, a week's worth, a month's worth of things that were good and right can be really good in perspective taking. And so again, uh, writing this down in some capacity, if you already have a daily journal, just adding it to the top, 
You can add it to your calendar. Uh, you can stick it on your bathroom mirror. You can write it in dry erase marker on your bathroom mirror, whatever works so that you can just have visibility of good and right things when it feels like everything is wrong or bad. Well, I just, I, you know how much I love gratitude. Um, I do. I do. <laughs> but I just feel like, you know, even with my, my own clients, right. In my practice, you know, I'm always starting out with what went well, you know, what, what was good, you know, at the end of the day, I want you to like write down two or three things that you're really proud of. And I think we, we, our brain is so great at telling us what we did wrong, how we messed up, what we didn't do. Um, so we even might, I just want to interject this real quick. Like you may start to be like, okay, I'm really proud of this or I'm thankful. And then your brain's going to sweep in and be like, yeah, but you screwed this up. Right. And so it's like, it's a discipline. Like you have to actually, you know, train your brain to be like, hold on. We can acknowledge that stuff in a moment, but for right now, I just want to acknowledge all the good things. Um, Cause I think it's just so powerful in helping you show up the next day, because again, when it feels heavy, you shut down and then you stop doing all the good things that you were doing. Yep. Right. That's right. And, and I mean, you just did it. You did thought stopping in the middle of an interrupted gratitude practice. You know, when your brain tried to tell you something that was untrue and probably anxiety provoking, you stopped it. You said, no, that's not for today. And so you did it. Good job. (gasps) See, I'm even showing you examples of how to do it real life. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So those were three cognitive tools. Here are three body tools. Okay. And what's great about these body tools in particular, I picked them because you can do them anywhere, even if you're in a crowded room at work or at school or anything, and nobody even has to know you're doing it, but it can be super helpful. So the first one is called grounding exercises. And the the other great thing about all three of these, they're available on YouTube videos and things. If you're like, I need to watch somebody do it, or I need someone else to talk me through it. um, You can um, get them in multiple places. They're also available in app form and things. So grounding exercises are particularly helpful because the experience of anxiety or an anxiety attack or a panic attack specifically really is an overwhelming physical experience. And so these five things bring your body back to where your mind is and your mind back to where your body is. So you would just sit wherever you are or stand um, and you would want to notice five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. The order does not matter. If you're like, uh, I think it's five things I can touch and three things I can hear, that's fine. It's in order of easiness. For sure, it's easier to see five things than to taste five things, if you will. And so that's, it just goes in easy. But what you're doing is you're using your five senses to completely be present. You, it's almost impossible to worry about a meeting you're going into if you're trying to hear four things in your environment as you're sitting there. And so it gives the body time to calm down, to slow your breath down, to slow your heart rate down. And then that clears out your mind. And so it gives you the opportunity to come back into control of your mind and your body. And you just keep doing them over and over again until you reach that place um, that feels the most comfortable to you. And you can do that anywhere. Okay. So I'm going to put a nutrition spin on this. So when my clients, maybe those that are, or my listeners that are struggling with like wanting to eat through a stressful emotion, right? Like I, I don't want to feel this. It doesn't feel good. Let me go get something to eat because that will at least calm myself down in the moment. It gives me something to do. 
but I don't necessarily want them tasting five things or I don't, you know, if hunger is not the issue, then it, it doesn't address the problem. So, you know, I don't know if we can like put a spin on this in terms of from a nutrition standpoint and stress eating, like if you have specific tips for that or that may be coming and I'm rushing things. I just, you know, while you were talking about the tasting, it just made me think of that. Yes. No, it's a great question. And to your point, um, because you might be, let's say, sitting in the middle of a intense work meeting when you're doing this, it's not about taste something like reach for something on the table. It's just like maybe you had gum. Or maybe you're still noticing that coffee you had. And so you're just experientially in your body. But to your point, you know, when you have someone who maybe is in a space of thinking about going into an emotional eating space, doing this first before we check in on our hunger to make sure that like, okay, if I'm fully in my body, my mind is clear, I'm able to really think through my decisions, is that something I still want to reach for? And then that just gives more authority within the body to say like, yes, I am, I am actually hungry or I'm hungry, but I don't need to eat as much or the type of food I initially thought I was coming into this space for. Or maybe when you're trying to taste and you realize you have no saliva in your mouth to taste, that's a good indication that you should go get a glass of water, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, another um, really great uh, physical reduction for anxiety is called progressive muscle relaxation. Um, PMR is how it's often abbreviated if you wanna you know, be able to do a Google search or YouTube search for that. And so basically you're just starting at the top of your head and you are squeezing and holding and then releasing different muscle groups all the way down to your toes. So you're going to squeeze for three seconds and then release. You're starting at things like your eyes like squeeze your eyes shut and release, and then squeeze your jaw shut and release, your shoulders, your elbows, your hands, your core, and you're working all the way down your body because when you squeeze your muscles and then you release them, you are releasing chemicals in your body that help remind your body, we are not in a fight right now. We are not squeezing our muscles and running right now. We are releasing. And so just top to bottom, over and over again. It's not something to rush. If three feels like too much, do two. If three feels like not enough, do seven. Whatever feels good. Again, it's not so much that there is one right way to do this. It's about trying to communicate with our body when that overwhelming anxiety feeling is telling us something that's not accurate. We are not in danger. We do not need to run. We do not need to freeze. We are okay. And so let's remind our body of that. Excellent. Oh, that's a really good practical tool that we can do. Like you said, anytime, any place. Yeah. Um, I like yep. that idea of releasing and just reminding ourselves we're safe. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. So um, maybe some good next steps would be helpful beyond yes. our time together today. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Because what's our, what do we do next? Now that we have these tools, where do we go from here? Well, the greatest hope is that we feel normalized. We know lots of people are experiencing anxiety. It absolutely gets to a place we are not best served or able to handle it completely on our own. That is not in any way an indication of who we are as people. It's just that it is a hard, hard thing to manage because we have those lies coming at us because our body is even trying to tell us something that's just not true. And so, of course, I'm going to push for talking to your general practitioner and or talking to a therapist. Both can be fantastic. Sometimes some of the resistance I see with that was like, well, 
if I go into therapy, I'm going to have to be there forever. Absolutely not true. Um, or if somebody, you know, my psychiatrist or my doctor recommends medication, I'm going to need to be on that forever. Also, absolutely not true. Maybe therapy or medication would be helpful for a really long time, but maybe not. And that's certainly, I would say, not a reason not to go. And so if you are open to considering mental health services, then connect with your member services on the back of your insurance for just who's already covered in your plan, because it can get expensive um, when you go out of pocket. Not that that's not a viable possibility, but if that if um, financial is a barrier to treatment, then let's remove that barrier. Um, plenty of places also work with sliding scales and scholarships. And so I would start with your member services number, um, reach out into your network, put it out on your social media, like, hey, even if you have to quote, ask for a friend that somebody is looking for a therapist that deals with anxiety, does anybody have any recommendations? Your list will populate quickly. People know who's out there who has been helpful. Probably when you call, you are going to hit some wait lists because all, all of us as mental health professionals are just slammed right now. And I would say, don't let that discourage you. Get on as many wait lists as you feel comfortable. If you get three or four recommendations from your community, get on wait lists for all of them because somebody's list will move quickly. Um, and so it's just really important to just wait that out, even if you have to. And then once you do get into a provider, be willing to give it four or five sessions before you make a decision if this is a good fit or if I'm willing to stay with them. It is a little awkward at first. It just is. And it's meant to be a relationship and no relationship happens in the first hour, if you will. Um, but you can get a sense of like, do I feel like I could learn to trust this person? Do I feel like this person is really working to understand me and walk with me with this? And if that's the case, then see it through um, and let them know, like, I'm looking for some short-term fixes while we're trying to figure out some long-term plans. And they should be able to help you with that, similar to some strategies we provided today, but also some ones, you know, specific to your situation. If your member services or your community are unhelpful or just still feel a little too vulnerable to ask in those two spaces, you can go to psychologytoday.com and they list providers that you can filter by zip code, by gender, by specialty. And that can also be really helpful to find out who in your area um, might be available to you. That's really, really helpful because... I know so many people are, are struggling right now and not sure where to turn and where to look or they call the first place. The wait list is, in, is feels too long. And so they just shut it down and they figure they'll just try to do it on their own. But right. there's no reason they have to do it on their own. There are people out there ready and willing and wanting to help. Absolutely. And my experience with the wait list situation is, you know, exactly as I'm advising, be on multiple wait lists. People are on multiple wait lists. So they may say you have 50 people in front of you, but the, you know half of those people might actually go seek services somewhere else. And so the wait list do move. Um, if you can in any way communicate like maybe the severity or the significance of your issue, that can be really helpful sometimes for getting you prioritized. Um, and so I, it, it will move and maybe um, connect with your general practitioner in the meantime um, to even say like, hey, I'm struggling and I am on some wait lists, but in the meantime, is there anything we could do together to help alleviate some of these symptoms? Anxiety is a very suffering experience because it is in your body and it is in your head. And so to take some of that burden off is a great gift to yourself and your people that are important to you in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Oh. 
Carrie, this is so incredibly helpful. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your passion, and just helping us kind of navigate through this very challenging, this very challenging time. And, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, the community uh, that listens can, can seek help when necessary, or at least utilize these tools um, and, and get, feel some relief, right? Um, Me too. Me too. It is, it is a hard thing to struggle with. There are resources out there and it is absolutely worth getting. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah. So Carrie, as a faithful listener, you know that whenever I have a guest on the show, I ask uh, for you to share a recipe with everybody. So we always conclude our, our episodes this way. And um, I'd love for you to share a recipe with our audience now. I am so excited to do that. Um, I have three kiddos of my own. And so a night where dinner can be happy for everybody is a gold standard in my house and very rarely happens. Um, talk about anxiety. Dinner gives me anxiety half the time because I already know the complaining is coming. But today for you, I have a um, recipe that all of my people like. They like it a lot. They ask for leftovers of it. And it is super easy. So it checks all the boxes for me. Okay. Um, this is Instapot taco pasta. Now you do not have to have an Instapot to do that, but this certainly helps make it quick. Um, this is something I can have ready on the table within 15 minutes of coming home from work. And that always feels really good. Um, so the ingredients for this are one pound of ground beef. You can do uh, regular beef or turkey, you know, whatever feels good for you and your family. One ounce of taco seasoning eight ounces of tomato sauce, two cups of beef broth, and eight ounces of some kind of small pasta, like an elbow. Um, we usually use like the protein enriched pasta, but whatever kind works for your family. And then one and a half cups of shredded cheese. We usually use like a taco cheese, um, but whatever works for you. And what is fantastic is if you forgot to thaw your meat, you can just do that as part of this recipe. It's not like, oh, I've lost this dinner because I didn't set my meat up or whatever, okay? The first thing you're gonna do is take your Instapot and put it on saute and put that ground beef or ground turkey in there and just let it brown up. When that is done, you are going to stir in everything else except for the cheese, the taco seasoning, the tomato sauce, the beef broth, and then the pasta. You put the lid on and you're gonna put it on a manual setting for five minutes. Once it beeps, you're doing a quick release. Then you're going to lift the lid, add the cheese over top, put the lid back on just so it melts and you're done. And everybody eats it. We usually like to do a salad and sometimes some cornbread with this. And it is just easy and fantastic. Love it. And everyone likes it, which like you said. Everyone likes it. That in itself is worth gold, right? It is. It's worth everything. It's fast. They eat it. It's, it's easy cleanup because it's basically one pot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's a great recipe. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, guys, that is what we have for you today. As always, thank you so much for listening in. We're so thankful for all of you and hope you have a great week. All right. Thanks again, Carrie, for being with us. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, 
how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.